0: Hey, it's Fatma Sayyid, and this is The Backbench, a podcast about Canadian
1: politics.
0: I ask for God's forgiveness, and I want to say to you with all my heart I am very sorry. That was Pope Francis delivering his apology to Indigenous people who suffered in the residential school system. This moment was decades in the making. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission documented over 4,000 kids who died in that system, died while attending school. They suspect the number is much higher than that. And there are a plethora of allegations of sexual and physical assault in those institutions. Five years ago, after the Truth and Reconciliation Commission came out, Justin Trudeau asked the Pope to apologize to them. He didn't. This time, though, a delegation of residential school survivors and indigenous community leaders got to meet with the Pope face-to-face and talk to him about the harms they faced at the hands of the Catholic Church. Now, I know it's been a busy week in Canadian politics, the budget just came out, that's some 300 pages for us to understand, and the Conservative leadership race is heating up, along with a billion other things. We'll dig into all that soon, I promise. But this moment was a huge reminder of how much political and cultural power the Catholic Church has had and continues to hold over Indigenous people's lives in this country. So today we're getting into the significance of four words. I am very sorry. I'm talking to two people to understand all this. One, a residential school survivor who's been waiting to hear those words for 58 years. And the other is a youth delegate who met with the Pope to share the stories of her people and to ask for that apology. A disclaimer, this episode does get into some heavy stuff, abuse, suicide, and death. Let's get into it. So just a few days after the apology, I got on the phone with Norman Yakeula.
1: In my language, I said, "Thank you, my people." The weather is beautiful.
0: He's a residential school survivor, one of about eighty thousand who are estimated to be living today. When I called him, he had just gotten back to Canada and was still processing what just happened.
1: I'm still somewhere, and is it still true, and is it happening?
0: Norman wasn't part of the official delegation who spoke to the Pope, but he was in Rome to witness this moment. He's also a former National Dene chief, and until recently he was a regional representative of the Assembly of First Nations.
1: As a regional chief of Assembly of First Nations, This was my lead file. Okay. Here the path, I walked the steps. You
0: helped organize this.
1: That's right, that's right. (laughs) You know, I want to be humble, but you know, I did that.
0: Like I said in the introduction, Norman has been waiting for this moment for 58 years.
1: I knew at the age of five years old that something... Wasn't right. Something. Didn't feel right. You don't do this. To a little boy. You don't speak. To a little boy. In this manner.
0: Can you tell me a little bit. About what. Treatment you received. While you were a five-year-old. In a residential school.
1: Well the first one. The treatment wasn't in a humane way. And the first one that we knew and I experienced was by them issuing us young boys a number. So that's the identity. So I always refer to the number of 153. They didn't call me by Norman. They said 153, mm-hmm. and if you have that number, you would raise your hand. So the whole identity is a big issue for the survivors. The identity of your language. So when you spoke your language, as I spoke this morning in our language to greet you, we couldn't say Musi, If you said that, they put soap in your mouth, slap you on the head. And the nuns would say that's the language of the devil. Nobody wants to be associated with the devil. So that was a number one indicator that our language was wrong. Our clothes that our grandmothers and mothers sewed for us, our traditional mukluks, gloves, parkas, were all stripped of us and we never saw them again. We were given different clothes. The other one was the, the foods that we ate weren't of our traditional foods. It was a total different diet. And the punishments, were corporal like punishments, military type punishments, put in closets, not fed, strapped, everything that dehumanized us. And of course then we had to suffer through the abuses, the physical abuse, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, and cultural abuse. When you look at it, it was a real dehumanization process. We couldn't even talk to my sisters on the other side of the residential school hostel. We had no contact with them. If we did speak to the girls, it was a sin, and we would be punished for it. So we had no contacts with the girls, with my sisters, my family members, we couldn't have that. So really it was a experience that I never thought that the world was like this. I only knew love, happiness, laughter from my family from my community of Fort Norman. And I got into another world that was not real. This can't be happening.
0: When did you realize you deserved an apology?
1: I knew it at five years old. If you do something that is harming another person, I knew when my mom, my grandmother, would have to say, go over there and say you're sorry. You hurt somebody. I knew that was a strong value principle that we had to respect another person. But who would listen to a five-year-old boy that just knows that this is not right? And so I kept that. For 58 years. Until last week, I heard His Holiness the Father. I am very sorry. And I read his statement three or four times, and I'm still reading it. Every word has power, it was so unreal that i couldn't believe it after all these years that's all i wanted to hear from the roman catholic church
0: norman hearing you talk about all of this you know there's a lot of emotions involved uh you know hearing you tell me that for the longest time you were called a number instead of your name and and all the abuses that you you faced in that school system as a five-year-old, that's a lot to bear for so many decades. How do you prepare for a trip like this, where you know that you might finally get what you need to move on from that part of your life?
1: Well, throughout the years, you know, you know, you know your truth. You stand on your truth. It's very scary because you're getting to know who you are and to share what you have gone through, things that you haven't shared before. Now, I got a call from my brother a couple of days ago. My brother is one year older than me. And it's the first time my older brother shared his experience at Crowyer Hall, residential school that we attended.
0: He'd never talked about it before?
1: We never talked about it before. Talked to my sister how it felt for her to see us little boys and not talk to us not talk about our abuses that happened to us. We kept it secret. In the residential school, we had three rules. Don't talk about what happened to you. Don't feel what happened to you. And don't trust anybody. By going over and preparing, we had to start talking like this today, about what really happened. And there's a different level that you talk to with other people about what really, what happened at the residential school. We start to feel the anger, the shame, the hurt, we start to real feel it, and not to use any other means to cover that pain anymore.
0: Norman, was all were were all of these emotions at display in the delegation? Like, can you tell me a little yes. bit about your first few days there? What did you all do, see, feel in the lead up to the day of the apology?
1: Well, we all came together in Canada, it was like the first time we came to the residential schools. We all come from different cultures, teachings, traditions, experiences. We worked with the Assembly of First Nation as I was on that file. We start to gather the names of the delegates from across Canada and how we're going to organize ourselves and how we're going to work with the council of Catholic bishops and the message that we're going to give to his Holy Father. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze,
0: One of the people who was chosen to convey that message was Taylor Bain-Tacoza. She's a co-chair of the Assembly of First Nations National Youth Council. She was one of 15 people with the First Nations delegation. Taylor is 26 years old. She was born the year the last residential school closed. She doesn't have any personal experiences here, but many members of her family did.
2: Growing up my family didn't really talk about residential school and I remember learning about it in, in grade five and my, my grade five teacher he either asked the class or he approached me he was like hey do you know of anyone who's a survivor and I said oh yeah like all oh, my aunties and uncles are survivors and 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 he said like, oh did you think one of your family members would come and I said oh yeah for sure like my, my uncle will totally come and talk to our class and I remember I kept like hey uncle you, go, you got to call the school okay my teacher is so-and-so and you have to ask for him and then he's going to set up a time for you to come talk to my class. And he never did come at the time. I just was like, I think even back then I didn't really understand the full effects or what happened there. Cause people never talked about it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, leading up to like, to being part of this delegation, you know, I really had to do a lot of learning for myself because that wasn't shared with me, but I was like, you know, I, I want to be part of this healing too. We talk about reconciliation being this intergenerational journey and I think everyone is is entitled to healing, including, you know, the those intergenerational survivors. And so yeah, just when the opportunity came about and I I just thought, you know, this is how I can, you know, help my generation and those to come by just being part of these these conversations, having a presence and really all just, I think, built up our, our messaging to what we were trying to convey to the Pope. And I really think we were successful in that.
0: That's so inspiring and admirable to hear you just, you know, be ready to take on that responsibility. I did notice that there was an APTN video which shows, I think it's your mom, and she says to you, um, and I'm quoting, I still don't like that you're going to the house of ill repute. And I know a lot of people question the entire purpose of this delegation and this trip. You know, we're a week since it happened. So how did you process your mom's criticism or other people's criticism of this trip?
2: (sighs) Oh, my mom. And I, you know, when when I first had accepted this this role, I think that's what it was, was was that being this youth voice like there was my mom who was very outspoken on national television (laughs) about her not agreeing with me going, but also just the whole delegation as a whole. But I also received a lot of that from survivors in my family, survivors in my community, a lot of people on Facebook (laughs) expressing that, you know, they felt that this trip wasn't needed that it was a waste of money, that the Pope's words don't mean anything. Like all these things that I can only try to emphasize with them because like I mentioned, a lot of those people are survivors. My mom actually isn't a survivor. She's the first one in my family to not have to go. But I can only imagine like where that pain is sitting for them. Mm-hmm. I And I definitely absorbed it when I first heard that, that they're like, we don't, we don't want you to go. I was like, I kind of questioned like, oh man, should I go? Like, is this this something I should do? But again, it was that reflection piece when I really sat with that and I said, that's their journey. I have to acknowledge that, but I have to recognize that I also have my own journey. And even thinking about my journey to get to the Assembly of First Nations and then being the co-chair of the Assembly of First Nations National Youth Council, I I started this work around 2021. And so five years that I've dedicated my life to advancing and advocating for and creating space for Indigenous youth to be part of these discussions, for Indigenous youth to be part of, you know, this reconciliation journey, to really find healing within themselves and their communities. And so I just thought like, wow, you know, I've really, I've worked really hard for this moment. And in my heart, I just knew that I had to do this, even though there was pressure for my family, my community to to not go. And I have so much respect for, for my community, my people my mom. But again, it just there was something in me that just said, you were led to this moment for a reason. And, you know, walking out of that meeting, that private audience with the Pope and even the general audience, that feeling I got that was just like, that just felt like it was worth it. Like hearing those words, I am very sorry, and looking the Pope right in the eye and saying, my people are dying. Like it was because of the policies that your institution has created. But, you know, it was in those moments that just you know, reassured me that, like, I was meant to be there and that these conversations are so vital. And I just, I, yeah, it, it, it's a lot to process. I'm still processing. Yeah.
0: Can you take us inside the room?
2: You know, what's the first thing you saw? What's the first thing you heard, felt? Like, what was it like? Yeah, you know, it was, and it's still so surreal. I think about it, I'm like, holy, like, what just happened? Like, it's so crazy. Um, so, of course, you have to go through through quite a bit of security you got to walk past these swiss guards when you get into the vatican um we got there just on time so they're trying to like shuffle us they're like okay we got to go the pope's waiting we're like oh sorry like okay um so we're all like they're calling us all the delegation out one by one and um yeah and so we just walk through like door after door after door but as soon as you walked in the pope was right like was right at the front of the door and i was like holy I was like oh my gosh and he like he was shaking each of our hand as we came in and I was like hello (laughs) like nice to meet you and Taylor and then yeah and then we sat down and we started our meeting in a pipe ceremony our Mm -hmm. elder Fred Kelly had lit his pipe in the Vatican and to see the Pope's face because you could see it was kind of like like what is he doing? Like, he never said anything, but just his eyes, like, were so big. And, you know, our elder lit the pipe because of, that's our way, you know, and we really wanted to emphasize to the Pope, like, we're still here. Our culture and our traditions are still so strong. Mm-hmm. So, like, that was beautiful. And then, yeah, we just, each of us went around and um, myself and my co-chair were the third last to go. So, went Rosalie, myself, and then our last, our female elder. So, we were, like, at the, kind of at the end and and Rosalie was speaking Oh, and I have to preface that it's been pouring in Rome the week that we were there. Okay. It was healing, hasn't healed in Rome in 20 years. They haven't seen downpour like they've seen that when we were there in months. And so when Rosalie is speaking, she just, oh, her presence, her voice is so powerful. And she was just like, oh, I'm just giving it to the Pope. And we're just like. <laughs> just telling her truth, you know, being so poised about it. And I was just so amped up with what she was saying. Next thing you know, these big 20 foot tall windows that are like on this side of the room, the clouds just part and the sun just shines into this room and literally lit up Rosalie and I'm sitting there and I'm like, looking at the sun and I'm like, What the hell? Like, it was beautiful. And then in St. Peter's Square, there was drummers and singers that were out there. And it just got louder and louder. And the room was just like kind of echoing with the drums and the singing that was going on. And Rosalie's still going and just being a powerhouse that she is. And like, that means something. Like this big gust of wind, the clouds parting, the sun just shining through on like this next generation of leaders. What
0: did you say to him, Taylor? Like when when it was your turn to have an audience with the Pope? What do you say to him, and
2: how did he respond? Yeah, so I get pretty nervous when I have to speak. But when Rosalie went, that's when the butterflies had hit me. Was like, oh, okay, I'm next. Like, get it? Like, you know, like really (laughs) deep breath. (laughs) Yeah, like deep (laughs) breath to really speak what you have to say. And I I did have like speaking notes, so I already knew what I was going to say. But just making sure that he knew. You know and so when when it came to me you know I just shared that you know I never went to residential school um I live with the effects of it every single day I told them that you know our people are the fastest growing demographic in Canada yet we have the highest suicide rates and you know our people aren't killing themselves because they want to die they're killing themselves because they see it as a last resort to escaping the pain the hopelessness that they feel because of the colonial institution that is the Catholic Church. So I shared a lot about that. And I go into like, you know, really expressing how the doctrine of discovery has caused a lot of harm to our people. It just really pressured him to to rescind that papal bull that comprised the doctrine of discovery and this idea of terra nullius, which a lot of the other speakers had had already expressed that as well. But I just felt it was so important that I reiterate that, especially if we're thinking about our future relationship, which is what the theme I was talking on. And then I also talked about the repatriation of artifacts that the Vatican currently holds. And yeah, that was, that was kind of all I had time for. Cause, uh, cause you have to think that there was already 13 people that went before me and then there's one person that went after me. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things were covered, but I just, those were kind of the top things that I chose to share with him. But yeah. And then, uh, so the Pope actually just responded after everyone had went. So it wasn't like, it wasn't a one-on-one. It was just like, we all went and then he responded to us as a, as a group. When you were talking, did you feel like he was listening to you? It might be hard for people who weren't there. I wish I could share how I'm feeling. But I, I I do believe he was listening from the eye contact, from when our survivors were going. There was times that the, that they shared their the truth, you know, all the abuses, physical, emotional, sexual. You know, there was times that he like would just, that he just like bowed his head and would just kind of like shook his head. So I think from his body language, I really got that. But even when I shook his hand, Um, For the last time when we walked out, he gave each of us this little medal. Just his sense that he was committed to walking this path with us. It's really hard. I I wish I had the words to explain, but I really did feel that, that he was listening. What was the medal that he gave you? I'll show you this one first, because he gave this pearl rosary. But then this is what he gave to each of the delegates as well, is this. I believe it's Mary. I don't think this is Jesus, but he talked about it in Italian. Taylor, what happens
0: next? Because I know this is an apology, you know, people have waited years, decades even, for. And I also know that there are people who are saying that it doesn't go far enough, that there still needs to be more action. People want reparations. Uh, They want a visit from the Pope and other priests to indigenous lands here. So in your opinion, having experienced all that you've experienced over the past week, what do you hope happens next?
2: What comes next is like the papal visit to Canada, which the Pope did say he will be in Canada this year in 2022. So there's that. And I really am hopeful that he's going to take his apology to where we were hoping was going to go and for him to actually say, like, I apologize. I'm sorry on behalf of the entire Catholic Church. As we know, his apology that he gave last week was just on behalf of some of the members of the church, you know, which mm-hmm. to some of us, that was like, uh. You know, we're, we're thankful to hear the words, I'm sorry, but we really do want to hear that acknowledgement on behalf of the entire institution. When it comes to Canada, I'm hoping that will happen My personal ask of rescinding the Doctrine of Discovery, I hope that happens. Also working with Indigenous people to identify the artifacts that are held by the Vatican, trying to figure out which ones were stolen, because we do know from our oral um, histories and stories that some of those artifacts that they hold are stolen. And so just trying to, you know, figure that out. There's a lot that's going to have to happen after this, and that is going to happen. Because, you know, the entire world was watching. There was international media there. Canadian media was all over this. And I think, you know, I just think like, well, you know, what does this mean for the Queen and for Canada? Those words, I'm sorry, is going to have legal implications moving forward. The Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, the CCCB, is going to have to work with Indigenous people. And there was a big ask by our national chief that the diocese that are currently in Canada, that the CCCB oversees, that we encourage them to return the the traditional lands that they sit on that they be returned to those respective nations so and of course compensation like I could go on and on I just think that and we keep talking about you know this wasn't the start of reconciliation this isn't the end this is just another step and I think Mm -hmm. for just like reflecting on it for myself it's a giant step and it's gonna have implications on everything moving forward can I ask you one last question Mm -hmm. what did your
0: mom say when you came back and you told her some of the stuff that you've told me. What
2: was her reaction? Yeah. You know, I st- she she's still very, uh, I don't think I've changed her mind yet. Okay. Uh, but also I haven't had the opportunity to, to actually share with her the, the details that I've even shared today. I don't think I'll change her mind, but I hope she just, I give her another lens in which she can look through. And even even other people that, that that you know, that had similar perspectives as, as her. I just hope that... Um, that I can respect their where they're coming from and I hope that, the, the, that they can do the same for me.
1: His written statement and his apology to us at the Vatican on April 1st, and this was no April Fool's joke. There's going to be critics and there's going to be people that going to want to see things happening. Pessimistics, the opportunists, the realistics. We're going to get that. The scholars, the academic, and the traditional. The real action now is needed from the federal government. I always say that we got to work together to build a new Canada. The federal government along with the Roman Catholic Church and the other churches needs to sit and listen. Will you walk with us and accept us and respect us and give us the proper recognition as being one of God's children, just like you. The federal government could set up a Department of Reconciliation or the churches that really honor the Truth and Reconciliation recommendations. 58, 59, 60.
0: The TRC call to action number 58 was the Pope's apology. Number 59 and 60 asked the Catholic Church to acknowledge, settle and educate their members of the institution's role in the residential school system and its broader harms against indigenous peoples.
1: That's going to take commitment to make the transformational shift.
0: Is there a particular moment from, you know, your week in, in the Vatican that will stay with you for the rest of your life?
1: Hearing his words will definitely stay with me. Seeing all the brothers and sisters of the residential school and the support we had, knowing that the young people were there, the elders, the residential school survivors. And what really struck me was after the apology, I went back to my hotel room with my wife and, you know, being so unsurreal that I sat on my bed in the hotel room, you know, and I was so angry, all that rage and hurt and anger. My head was sore. I was angry, even in my language. After 58 years, it took this long for the Pope to say he was sorry. My mother's not alive anymore. My dad's are not alive anymore. Some of my family members, my cousins are not alive. For 58 years, It took the Pope to say, I am very sorry. Poor words. That's all he could have said a long time ago. Why did I carry and want to hear this to say he was sorry the way that I was treated, my brothers, sisters, my friends, my mom, endured, my granny, our communities, our culture. Everything came to the forefront. And I was angry. I even swore That the most beautiful person that supported me all through the hardships, my wife. She cried. And all I wanted was the pope to come to my mother's grave and say, I'm sorry, Laura. I'm sorry for what I've done for my church, or my people done to your children. The seven children that you sent to the residential school, the hurt that we endured. I wanted the Pope. no, just to say that to my mother. My mother paid the price. My granny, my fathers, we paid the price. And I wanted the Pope to say that. I went to bed. I slept. I got up. I felt light. I felt good. I told my wife, let's go eat. I'm hungry. (laughs) I got some really good Italian food down in Rome. (laughs) Lasagna, spaghetti. You know, it's all true. You know, and the people in the restaurant were happy for us. They're just people like us. You know, and I enjoyed the rest of the day knowing that the past is left now in the past.
0: Where it belongs.
1: I can move on. We can move on.
0: You know, it's Ramadan and I'm fasting, and I know you started this conversation with your language, so I just want to say, you know, we always when we hope for something, we always say, "Inshallah," God willing.
1: Oh, beautiful.
0: So I hope that you and your people get what you want, Inshallah.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. That's 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 good. That's what we need to do is to respect each other's spirituality, and I like what you said, in God's willing. Man, that, that makes that me you made my day.
0: <laughs> you, you made mine
1: normal. <laughs> you brought tears to my eyes right now at your talk. <laughs> Man, that is so cool. You no, know, God willing.
0: That's the backbench. The Indian Residential Schools Resolution Health Support Program has a hotline to help residential school survivors and their relatives suffering from trauma invoked by past abuse. The number is 1-866-925-4419. Before I sign off, I do want to note that in the budget released last week, the federal government pledged $11 billion over six years to help Indigenous communities grow and shape their futures. That's a direct quote. This investment falls far short of the amount projected by Indigenous organizations like the Assembly of First Nations, who requested between $40 and $60 billion for Indigenous affairs for the 2022-2023 period. The budget also includes a list of measures to be taken to assist in the ongoing searches of former residential school sites, $4.7 billion to help Indigenous communities cope, $209 million to help them document, locate, and memorialize burial sites at former residential schools, build a new National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, and ensure complete disclosure of federal documents related to residential schools. An additional $25 million over three years will fund the digitization of documents relating to residential schools. The federal government is also allocating $10.4 million to Justice Canada to appoint a special interlocutor to improve existing federal laws to better protect unmarked burial sites. We've talked about some of this on the show and we'll keep talking about it. We'll have to wait and see what impact this funding will have. Please join us next week to hear our politics panel talk more about this budget. We'll have things to say. Send us your questions, your concerns, your rants. You can email us, backbench at Canadaland.com. We're also on Twitter, at Backbenchcast. I'm Fatma Sayed, and you can find me on Twitter, at Fatma B. Sayed. If you listen in Apple Podcasts, you can support us, as well as Canada Land's other two political podcasts, for just $2.99 a month. This episode was produced by Kevin Sexton with additional production by Tristan Cappacayone. Our managing editor is Kieran Outshorn. Theme music is by Nathan Burley. Thanks for listening. See you next week.